Welcome, market participants, to another Three Things in Credit. I'm Van Hesser, Chief Strategist at KBRA. Each week, we bring you three things impacting credit markets that we think you should know about. I promise not to say a word about Twitter, except this gem from former CEO Jack Dorsey, who said he trusts Elon Musk's mission to, quote, extend the light of consciousness, unquote. Got me to thinking. In the world of credit, I am here to extend the light of consciousness. Has a nice ring to it. All right, this week, our three things are, one, freight movements. Those fixated on sticky high inflation should pay attention. Two, housing markets. There are many sides to this all-important economic sector. And three, margin update. How successful have companies been in passing along higher costs? All right, let's dig a bit deeper. Freight movements. One of the great debates taking place in the market is whether or not the market is helping to tighten financial conditions ahead of the Fed. For those in the transitory camp, we're not afraid to use that word, that's a big part of a soft landing scenario. Create, or have happened naturally, demand destruction and have supply chains unkink while the Fed does its thing and hopefully does not overdo its thing. Now, the intersection of supply and demand is shipping, and trends in shipping should provide some clues as to how demand is progressing and whether or not supply chain efficiency is improving. So let's start with U.S. freight volumes, which slowed further in March, with shipments up just 0.6% year-over-year, according to CAS Information Systems. The result is a sluggish outcome stems from services reopening, which siphons off goods spend, inflation rising, higher energy prices, and the war in Europe impacting sentiment. We're certainly seeing a freight slowdown, is how CAS describes what it is seeing. DAT Freight and Analytics, which monitors trucking markets, says talk of a freight recession is overblown, but it's not a blip either. It adds, the reality for most is that we're seeing an overheated market correction where demand appears to be reverting to more seasonal levels as more capacity becomes available. Flipping over to ocean-going shipping markets, container rates have also been on a downward trend as the market softens. Drury's WCI composite benchmark for a 40-foot container is down 24% from its recent high setback in September. Taken together, you can build a narrative as follows. Consumers are slowing their purchases of durable goods from the feverish pace at the height of the pandemic, as there is less need to accumulate even more things, while sentiment turns more conservative due to higher-than-expected inflation and the outbreak of war in Europe. Additionally, lockdowns in China have also worked to soften demand for shipping. Sure enough, checking in on the New York Fed's Global Supply Chain Pressure Index derived from 27 freight-related variables, that index has rolled over significantly from its recent high set at year-end. So let's see. Slowing demand and less pressure on supply chains are working to alleviate inflationary forces, reducing along the way the prospect for a Fed policy error. We'll continue to watch this space. All right, on to our second thing, housing observations. Now, we've talked quite a bit about the housing sector from many different perspectives. Impact of supply chain kinks, the impact on home builders, 
potential risks to the financial system, and of course, comparing what's happening today to what happened in the mid-2000s. I figured it was time to update our views because this story is not becoming any less interesting. First observation, home values continue to spike. The average sales price of new homes in the U.S. hit $524,000 in March, some 36% higher than where we were at the beginning of the pandemic. The S&P, CoreLogic, Case-Shiller, 20-City Composite has been growing at double-digit year-on-year rates 15 consecutive months now, and the latest print in February was the highest yet, 20%. Home buyer affordability is falling as 30-year mortgage rates have risen over the past six months from 3% to above 5%. And as has been the case in many asset markets through the pandemic era, this growth in home values is extreme. So what kind of risk does this present to credit markets? The first thing to bear in mind is what is driving home values today is very different from the mid-2000s. That problem then was largely driven by ultra-loose mortgage loan underwriting standards. So we saw a chart this week that compares loan-to-value calculations today versus what was done in the lead-up to the GFZ. Using national account data, which measures total mortgage debt divided by aggregate home values, so this does not compare to new mortgage origination LTVs, LTVs in stable markets tend to be in the low 30% area. At the height of the GFC, aggregate LTVs rose above 50%. Today, we're at 31%. So that's reassuring. But what's driving today's inflated home values? Today's values are driven by what seems to be a chronic shortage of homes. Estimates hover around 5 million. What's puzzling about this is, why can't we catch up? Well, the primary culprit seems to be the cost and availability of materials and labor. So much so that this week, more than 10,000 members of the National Association of Home Builders urged President Biden to intervene to address the growing housing affordability crisis stemming from, quote, historically high price levels for lumber and other building materials, supply chain bottlenecks, surging interest rates, excessive regulations, and a persistent lack of construction workers, unquote. Quite a menu. The NAHB estimates that 25 to 30 percent of the cost of construction is the result of burdensome regulation. I'm not sure I buy the higher cost as reason not to build argument, as clearly individuals have the wherewithal to continue buying homes, but I get the shortage of materials and labor angle. The thing we worry about is the economic impact of not building enough homes and having affordability slip away. Those high prices and reduced affordability are finally taking its toll, with new home sales down 8.6% and existing home sales down 2.7% in March. Fewer sales have a ripple effect through the economy. Housing, including housing services, represents anywhere from 15 to 18% of GDP. If we include home furnishings and maintenance, that figure can hit 22%. So an impaired housing sector will serve as yet another headwind faced by an economy already facing higher than expected inflation, war in Europe, and fiscal drag here at home. All right, on to our third thing, margin update. Now, we listened into a Bloomberg webinar this week on the leveraged loan market. One theme running through the participant comments was how the sector had emerged as defensive, 
something you don't always hear used to describe a sector in leveraged finance, in late cycle. Much of that view, of course, has to do with the floating rate nature of loans, a case of the right product at the right time. We, of course, would remind listeners that the sector's profile is inherently risky, given the typical borrower's profile is single B. That's where fundamentals come in. After acknowledging that all loans, or virtually all loans, have a clearing price, a reminder of one of my all-time favorite adages in credit. There are no bad loans, just bad loan prices. Love that. But the fundamental element in this equation prompts the following test. How successfully can your borrower pass along higher input costs? For that, we look to margin data coming out of Q1 earnings reports. For the S&P 500, acknowledging that this large cap universe has a higher credit quality than the leveraged loan market, consensus estimates called for operating margins to expand in Q1 from already elevated levels, 15.7% forecast for Q1 versus 15% in Q4 and 15.4% in the year-ago period. With just over half of the S&P reporting, 53% of companies surprised to the upside on margin, suggesting that they have been successful in passing along higher costs to customers. Winners by sector include, most notably, consumer staples, healthcare, industrials, materials, and utilities. Now, as we move forward, decelerating economic growth will not help preserve pricing power. We believe margin pressure will build, and that, of course, will have an impact on earnings. Now, but let's not lose sight of the overall picture. Thus far, 81% of firms reporting in Q1 have beaten the estimate, and 68% have reported higher year-over-year earnings. This is consistent with our view that, yes, corporate creditworthiness is facing mounting headwinds as we look ahead, but for now, and well into the balance of the year, we believe the economic backdrop of above-average, albeit decelerating, growth should support relatively constructive earnings. So there you have it. Three things in credit. One, freight movements. The spike in goods purchases is over, which is good news on the inflation front. Two, housing markets. Inefficiencies are adding yet another risk element to the economy. And three, margin update. So far, a mixed bag on company success in passing along higher costs. It doesn't figure to improve as we move forward. As always, thanks for joining us. Don't forget to check in on KBRA.com for our latest research and ratings reports. See you next week.